Life's a Mitch. Welcome back, guys. This is episode 35 of Life's a Mitch. So last week, I spoke to my my friend Chris, who spoke about some of the hardships about same-sex relationships and growing up in the small community in Australia in the 90s and early 2000s and some of the you know, some of the detrimental remarks and some of the hardships you had to face growing up in such a time where, you know, the community seemed bigoted and uneducated and unwilling to accept someone in their community. So, you know what, it's their loss, but we're moving on and check out his, uh, his socials for his new business he's plugged. So this week, keeping it local themed, we're heading down to the southern parts of Australia and little island of Tasmania. My next guest is another guest off that matchmaker.fm. And I swear if this was Tinder, I would have had many matches by now. It sounds like a dating website. So without further ado, can I get you please to introduce yourself and uh, why you'd like to come on today? Hello. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, my name's Aidy Delaney. I am a circus performer slash consent educator slash multi-potentialite. My pronouns are she, her. And I think you'll enjoy some of the stories I have. I think that's why I'm here. Cool. Well, this is what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, talk about the circus in a minute and talk about your consent um, profession in, in like, and, and some of your stories in regards to that. But what's a, what was the third terminology you just used? I'm sorry. A multi-potentialite. What's, so what, this is a term that I, <laughs> I came across. What's a multi-potentialite? It is uh, Emily Wapnick has done a TED talk. And I think the talk is entitled something like the reason some of us don't have one career or something like that and yeah she coined this term multi-potentialite which basically means there are there's this cultural expectation that we have we go to school we train in a career and then we do that job for our lives okay but there are lots of people out there that are good at lots of different things um a jack or jill of all trades, if you will. And those people are really important to our society because they bring different perspectives from everywhere to everything that they do. And they may not stay in one thing for super long or they might do that but seek loads of other influences. Does that make sense? Definitely. I think I might be part of that category because, like, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've worked in multiple industries. Um, I've got skills in mining civil retail i've dabbled around and obviously in this radio uh, medium at the moment and i'm also very good at being like a full-time dickhead (laughs) yeah yeah and all of those things are relevant and valid and they all contribute to what we bring to the world and and it's really important because i think there is absolutely a place for people that are good at one thing and they're experts in that field and they go super deep but there is also room for people that bring loads of different perspectives to different things. And I guess the biggest example for me of how I've done that is sort of mixing consent and circus together to form an education program. But yeah, I do loads of other things and everything, everything brings something, you know, like I like surfing. I love board games. I'm obsessed with my dog and all of those things help me in my professional career, which I'm sure you found as well. Like being able to talk to people and start a podcast has definitely been informed by who you've hung out with in the past and other passions and interests that you've had. Definitely. I um well I'd, I had the the uh sheer pleasure of meeting your pooch just before hit record. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So a little bit about your background. You've been in the circus for a long time performing as a performing like what was your role in the circus? Were you high, high wires and um, trapeze and that sort of thing? What was your role in the circus? Pretty much. So I I am qualified. I do have a degree. I have a bachelor of circus arts, which is a real thing. Okay, there you, you go. I'm, le- it, I'm learning everything today. This is fantastic. Yeah, if you shorten it, it's a B circ A or as I like to call it a berserker. Go, so I have well, one of those. Feel free to go berserk today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I specialised in trapeze. So I I am an aerialist, which means I do anything up in the air. I love heights. Um, there's a lot of different types of trapeze. I do two of them very well and maybe three as a sort of supplementary. But there's, there's like five or six different types of trapeze in the world and lots of other things as well. 
um, as a multi-potentialite, you know, I try my hand at everything. So I do tight wire, I do acrobatics, I do um, hula hoops, I can juggle a bit, little bits of everything, lots of good party tricks. That's cool. So what, where did this fascination, where you, you know, you hear the stories of the, like you take, I don't know, for probably a bad example, Dumbo. So you got this traveling circus. Um, <laughs> it's a very traumatic film. Actually, I'll, I'll scrap that. I can't think of any other circus <laughs> film top of my head. But like, sure, you know, but let's just take the stereotype. So you're, you, know? you know, you're a young, you know, the circus rolls into town. You're young. You're, you're fascinated with the trapeze or the lions or the tamers or whoever. You're like, you know, this is the life for me. I'm going to run away, join the circus, make a life for myself. How was your journey into the circus and where did the, the fascination with heights come from? I'm petrified of heights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of people are. I was the only one of my three siblings that my parents kept on a leash because I kept running up to clifftops and climbing ladders and going to the edge of lookouts and climbing over the fence and things. So I've always, always loved heights. Um and it was really, I credit my mum a lot with how I got into circus. I was doing gymnastics and I didn't really enjoy the competitive side of that. And she found this circus university where you can get a degree. So she sort of supported me into, into pursuing that. And then I was just really single body minded about doing it. I didn't want to do anything else. It's funny, like just before this call, I was going through getting rid of some old paperwork and looking at what I was doing coming out of uni and just applying for everything and sending my, my showreel out on CDs through the post because the internet wasn't really the approved method of communication at that time and doing anything and everything I could, you know, having backup plans where I was like, I'll do hula hoops if I can't do trapeze. <laughs> that was as much of a backup plan as I had. But I did do anything and everything and I ended up on a traditional circus which is exactly what you would think. It's a big top with elephants and traveling around this. The one that I worked for was actually in India. And yeah. so I went so and did that went, for six went, months. Sorry, you said you went to India to get be in the circus? That's cool. I did. Yeah, I nice. did, yeah. And I rode elephants. It's like one of the coolest things. Actually, it's a podcast, so no one else is going to appreciate it. But this is the costume that I wore when I Whoa. was riding elephants. So it's kind of like. I was hand beaded by women on the circus like every single this for people who are listening that it's dripping with these fake pearls um hundreds if not thousands of them and that was all done by hand well I, we can um, if you send me a photo of that later i'll put it up in the in the feeds it's it's yeah, great it's very very circus like very like performer yeah. dark blue sort of yeah i don't know i don't know how else to describe it it's shiny <laughs> just like my bald head <laughs> <laughs> so that was really great and I I moved on from there my grandfather's Irish I'm a Celt so I had a good visa to go to the UK so I did that and then I landed in a circus there which wow. again is pretty much what you would imagine like traveling around in a caravan we would stay in one place for a month and put the tent up and sledgehammer the stakes in and then do some shows and then take it all down and move somewhere else and repeat for, I did that for about three years and then sort of moved into doing some more theater stuff and other shows worked in France for a bit. By the time I was 24, I'd almost been to the same number of countries as years I was old. I never actually made that, but I think I'd been to 23 countries by the time I was 24 years old. A lot of traveling. What an interesting story you have so far. So <laughs> that's fantastic. So is the uni itself, is it in like Tassie or is it correspondence or whereabouts? It's in Melbourne, actually. It's part of Swinburne University. And there's a few around the world, but that's the only one where you can get a qualification in Australia. There are other circus schools in Australia and there's circus schools all over the place mm. um but yeah it's there's one in London as well there's one in Spain France has like 3,000 circus schools there's lots of places you can go to learn including now Tasmania well, there you go so currently in any capacity are you performing at the moment or are you focusing more on 
one of your other skills, you talked, you spoke about consent. So you're a teacher, you're a guide. What's, what is it that you're working on at the moment? So I do consider myself a retired circus performer. I will get up on stage, but I'm much more interested in pursuing the artistic side of things. Circus has, is, sits beautifully in the intersection between sport and art. And I think for the first part of my career, I was pursuing that as an athlete, like the level of fitness required to get up on a trapeze every day is pretty high. And my body started to give in and I wasn't really so keen on traveling so much anymore. So I moved back to Tasmania where my family is from. I had some hip surgery when I was 30 and, and yeah, now, now I pursue things that are not so taxing on my body. So I'll do a cabaret here and there. I just finished doing a theatre show, which was um, pretty physical, like contemporary dance style stuff, um, things that I'm interested in. I've taken up bottle walking as well, which is a nice act because that doesn't require too much of a warm-up and it's suitably impressive. It's where you get champagne bottles and you walk on the top of them in high heels. So it's kind uh, of like, like a portable tight wire. I like how you just drop that in like that's a normal thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, lots of good party tricks. <laughs> I, I was, my next question was going to be what's bottle walking, but you just, you know, told us. I so. saw the confused look on your face. So <laughs> Normally normally my form of bottle walking is a few bottles of beer in me and I'm struggling. <laughs> what would be a 10-minute walk to the pub is about a 45 one on the way home. That's my form of bottle that walking. counts. Oof. That counts. That, oh. That's a lot of people's It is version. an absolute sight of disappointment if you've ever seen one. Fair dinkum. Oof. Walk of shame. <laughs> no, I call it the stride of pride. <laughs> oh, that's better. That's way better. I'm going to adopt that. Helps me sleep better. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. It does, actually. And swimming's a really good hangover cure, I've discovered. Oh, anyway, so to answer your question, um, I yes, moving back to Tasmania, I was looking for something more of a challenge. I opened a circus school down here and that was great, um, but I wasn't feeling challenged. I, I'd been in circus for a long time. I knew what I was doing and I knew what I wanted to do. So the multi-potentialite in me was looking for something new. And I had a friend who worked for a sexual assault support service and they were looking for an educator. And I had very few of the desired criteria for that position, but it really appealed to me. Like I had figured out by that point that what I was enjoying about circus was changing people's lives and helping people achieve things that they didn't think that they could achieve. So working in consent education really appealed to me and I applied for the job and Although I didn't have many of the skills they were looking for, they I interviewed well, I guess, and they thought that it would be easier to teach me the content than it would be to teach a psychologist or a social worker how to be engaging with young people in the way that I was. So I really brought the skill set that I had developed over teaching circus for years and years and years into making challenging topics really accessible so now I work in schools with young people on consent and body autonomy and empowerment and it's from a sexual harm prevention perspective so it's pretty tough at times and in terms of my self-care I do that job two days a week and then I work at the circus the other two days a week and that is like perfect life balance for me good like okay I'm, I'm listening going Holy crap, how talented are you? And and to to sort of I guess I guess for your list of bona fides you just you just said to us then, um, you, you probably must have this engaging style about you because people can see that of your amazing skills going, holy crap, this this lady is just like outrageously talented at what she does, you know, to take that that style of circus performing. So make it engaging with you. They're probably going, she's cool. She's my teacher up there. How good. <laughs> so like to have credibility, I've got some teacher friends in my life and they say that credibility is key. And on top of that, if you can find a way to resonate with your, with your target audience, you know, you have to deal with the VARC, the VARC learning method. So for those of you who are unaware, everyone learns in four main different ways. So the VARC is visual, audio, respiratory, respiratory, reactionary sorry in kinesthetic so you learn by seeing doing hearing or a combination of the three 
and and on top of that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm not a qualified teacher, I'm just talking garbage, but you, you must have figured out the the equation to be able to successfully deliver these courses in all the schools that you go around to. So I'm assuming you go all around the state, like Hobart, Lonnie, um, and everywhere in between. Um, yeah, I do. And firstly, that's very kind of you to say. Um, secondly, you do know what you're talking about. All that was Stop. spot on. Stop. <laughs> And I, I do agree that credibility is, is key, but I don't believe that you need to do to teach. So not many of my circus students down, well, none of my students down here have ever seen me do what I did best. But I think there is um, knowledge that comes from experience and being able to communicate that to students in a way that empowers them. I think is what the key, which is exactly credibility. Like I know what I'm talking about and it's about empowering young people. It's about being trauma informed. And that's essentially just being an empathetic human being and recognizing that everyone's bringing their own life experience to the table. So I guess what I'm, what I realized through circus was that we need to redefine consent as a Western culture, we're doing it wrong. That much is clear. I've figured out how to redefine that for myself. And that's what I'm communicating to young people. And it's no good us adults in the world going around going, you've got to talk to people, you've got to get permission. Like that's not going to happen unless we show them. So we need role models and that's where circus comes in because circus and anything physical, any sort of extracurricular sport or dance or theater or anything like that, where there's physical interaction with others' bodies, that's the moment that we get to role model what consenting is. You talk to people and you show them. You can't just say to a little kid like, no means no, when next time you need them to get in the car, they actually don't have a choice. And you're like, come on, we just got to get in the car. So understanding that consent is informed and kids have a right to be informed about what goes on with their body to make a choice that is a genuine choice for them, that's really important. But adults, I don't think, currently understand that. So no one at the moment has this inherent understanding that their body is their own. Mm. That was a bit rambly. But no, do no. you get what I'm trying to say? Now, rambly is good because it gets extra content and... Uh... You know, let's get super rambly. <laughs> yeah, we've got to fix, fill an hour here. <laughs> now, okay, so let's break down like that Mitch style because I'm pretty simple in the head. So, you know, the idea about consent, obviously, is to have the confidence to say no, to be in a safe space, to, um, to you know, to not be forced into do stuff you don't want to do ultimately. So, you know, especially when it comes to dating, this day and age, in the date, in so in, in, the, in the ages of online dating, in the ages of, you know, everything's available online and, younger generations not knowing potentially what's safe and what's unsafe. And as you said, as you said, also older generations, you know, with the biosecurity things and stuff like that, consenting to your money going out and things like that too. So it's not just in terms of sexual participation, it's consent in many ways, shapes and forms. So this wide variety of things is eclectic. It's huge. It's a big deal. And those who are uneducated in terms of like, especially in the online medium, are going to need education training and who better to start with than the younger generation. So, okay. So I'm going to ramble on here a bit myself. So on this show, I've spoken a lot about, so one, my, my stepsister come on and spoke about domestic violence. Um, I've had male rights. So Jack Kammer in back in episode 18, he's, I wouldn't call him a male rights activist, but he's fighting for, for the rights, like for, for what men should do in terms of like speaking up, for example, you know, the equality movement in the 60s, women since the 60s have been fighting for equality. That's fantastic. They are great, you know, at telling us and sharing with us like what their needs are and how can, how we can bridge that gap. Awesome. You know, I'm all for it. But men uh, stereotypically hold back, don't say what their emotional needs are. And things like, you know, men, especially in, uh, like in, in Australia, there are, there's a like, mental awareness campaigns going on like are you okay day the black dog institute beyond blue and quite often there's talk about like you know say if there's a, a spousal divorce and you know say for example the men and the woman break up 
custody of the children goes to the woman and you know and it's where the man feels isolated he doesn't know where to go what services are out there so that's what jack's fighting for it's things like that and you know in this day of education in this day of consent it's very important to be well educated about such things and i think that you know knowing what services are out there and where to go and who to turn to like people like yourself at an early age is a good thing does that sort of make sense yeah, hundred percent. I've Sweet. been nodding along frantically as you've been speaking, Sweet. which no one can hear. But I do want to say that I support everything that you said. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. A lot of this stuff comes down to these gendered stereotypes that are really, really harmful to everybody. Yeah. They put people in two different boxes, and that box is like a male box and a female box. And the first problem is, what if you don't identify with either of those boxes? Mm-hmm. And the second problem is that both those boxes are unattainable. And they put people in positions where, yeah, men and boys don't have recourse to healthy emotional processing and access to help and support. And we have suicide rates in men that are three times higher than that in women. And it puts women and girls in this box where they don't feel comfortable to speak up because they have to fit this prescribed image of what women and girls are. So, like, no one's getting a good deal here. We need to... break down those stereotypes basically and start challenging them. And, and it's most basic example being like, yes, it's okay to cry and be sad and upset. If you're a boy, it ain't that's weak a to speak. good thing. It ain't weak to speak. <laughs> yeah. If it's one thing I've no. learned, if it's one thing I've learned about going on with this, um, this podcast is I've spoken to people of only the male and female gender. I, I have a few trans friends in my life. I'd like to get one on here to represent Mm, Uh, their their community and from what you know and what the general consensus is the conversations i've had is that the the only way to break down these like this stigma and the hardships is for to have discussions like this an open ear Mm -hmm. active listening positively contributing um towards uh, an ultimate goal so for example i was talking to jack and he said that he was doing a, a talk on you know on male and boy rights a male and boy, like, sorry, needs and discussions about some of the hardships faced in the US, especially those of lower socioeconomic backgrounds and minorities. Like he said that um, in the African-American community, for example, there are higher suicide rates and there are higher um, you know, statistics in regards to... There's men- worse health, co- health outcomes across yeah, the board, basically. Absolutely. So that's what I was trying to get at. Anyway, so this yeah. is one example of many. And what he was saying was that, he kept getting shot down by haters in the crowd and that bigotry that people assuming they know better than actual content experts is the biggest hurdle that's out there. And speaking to my friend, Chris last week, small Australian communities by stereotype and all like this, I'm sure, but a lot of people assume they know better and then no one's accepting of, of change. Mm. And, you know, I think it's really hard when people are coming from their own personal experience because our personal experience is a small bubble. It's a really, really small data set and something that may feel completely true to us. It can feel impossible to believe the opposite because we're not around all of those other people, which, as you say, is why it's so important to have these conversations, deep conversations to hear people's lived experience because I'm not a trans person. I can't understand the trans experience, but I can listen and I can accept that their truth is their truth. That's, that's another thing that's really important is that something that is true for one person may not be true for another person. The example that I use when I'm working with adults in this, in child protection is that it's really, really important to validate someone's truth. I had a student who was, Uh, six or seven years old and he was hanging on you know the aerial silks the fabric that hangs from the roof aerial tissue sometimes it's called so he was hanging and he jumped off and instantly was on the floor crying in a fetal position like an excruciating pain I had no idea what had happened because he looked fine so I went up and I figured out eventually that he had a cramp in his little finger and for me that's nothing, but it's, it's no good me going up to that kid and being like, oh, it's just a cramp. It's fine. You're okay. Because he's not okay. He doesn't feel okay. And he doesn't know that it's a cramp and he doesn't know what a cramp is. So that's useless for me to say that. It doesn't make him feel any better. So what I needed to do was sit with him and be like, yeah, it does really hurt, doesn't it? 
it is a cramp. Does it help if you massage it like this? Does it help if you shake it out a bit or stretch it? Do you need to sit off to the side for a little bit? What do you need from me? You know, like that's consenting as well. It's acknowledging that he's the authority on his own body, even though he's six years old. Because everyone is the authority on their own body. And so his truth was different to my truth, but didn't make it any less valid. That's right. And I think, okay, so in Australia, I've said it before, statements like she'll be right, as in like, oh, I'm, I'm struggling today. I lost my, my friend or my dog. Oh, you'll be right, mate. Just get on with it. It's that closed-minded. I, I think it stems from probably the baby boomer generation where their parents, the, the, the lost generation, were, were, you know, were raised to be tough, hard, and their parents mm-hmm. were in World War One. And then that was passed on to them. And then over time, Gen X, I'm Gen Z, I'm Gen Y, and then now Gen Z and so on. Um, awareness evolves over time. Like, for example, the harm of smoking on the body, uh, things like melted awareness campaigns, things like domestic violence uh, awareness and things like this. So over time, so in Australia, there is a, a campaign called Are You OK Day? And what that is, is that it's it's to get the it's the idea to get you talking amongst your peers. The day is one day a year, but ultimately it's trying all the time is to go. Are you okay? Is there anything on your mind that you want to talk about? It's a check in. Someone's mental illness, and I think it's a great thing. I've used it before, and I'm full disclaimer. I've used counsellors before. I suffer from anxiety. I think I've said that before, but and I find that doing this helps me with that dearly. And from there, like it's cost me relationships in the past, and you know, the the worst part of that's behind me, but you still have flare-ups every now and then. So the idea is to, you know, if you can acknowledge the fact that you need help in some way, shape or form, it is not a bad thing to ask for some help. There are people in my life, closest people in my, in my life, like friends and family, who would rather go it alone and then whinge about the same issue 20 years later. It's like you just want to grab your head and headbutt them repeatedly. But you can't you can't help people. Which is not it. a healthy way to no. express yourself. But I, I would never do that. Can appreciate never. that. <laughs> but it's yeah, just, it's okay to not be okay, yeah. and we need to normalize that. We need to normalize therapy and counselling. We have a pretty good system here in Australia, and I think everyone should have a counsellor. But you can go to your GP and be like, "I'm not doing well. I need support." And we have mental health care plans. You get like ten sessions a year under Medicare. It's great. And more people should know about it, more people should use it, and more people should destigmatize it because I think our mental health is as important, if not more important, than our physical health because a lot of it is linked. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you go for a workout, work on your physical health, then you create endorphins, you know, you create, mm-hmm. you know, a dopamine, which is the feel good endorphin. So you literally will feel better in the mind after a workout or, you know, doing something yeah. you thoroughly enjoy. I mean, it's like me when I sit down and hoe into a good old chicken schnitty from the pub. Those endorphins <laughs> are rushing. And, uh, I absolutely- yeah, some of them might be coming from the salt, fat and carbs, but that's an, also an okay way. <laughs> <laughs> Bad example. I'm a fan but- myself. Well, <laughs> no, it's a great example. And- we could all use a chicken schnitty. And I think <laughs> one of the you might you might be able to relate to this is that one of the one of the greatest things I take from this project is making other people laugh. Laughing is infectious. And if you can make someone's day a little a random act of kindness, if you can make someone's day something as simple as I love the way your hair looks today or that's is that's a fantastic that is a fantastic uh is that a sweater or a jumper? I love that. That's awesome. It's pretty great. It was a hand me down. Well, I think it's a hammy up because it is rocking. It is rocking. It's a hammy up upgrade. <laughs> that's what it is. Nice. Nice. <laughs> like, see, a small thing a day. I just think if we all took the time to do a little random act of kindness each day. I agree. Laughter therapy is a thing as well. You know, you can fake laughter and it actually has the same effect. Can you? So if well, you're not even feeling it. But yeah, I'm sure we've all had that experience where you go to do a workout and you're feeling terrible and then you feel better by the end but to exaggerate how the your mental process affects that you everyone or most people have probably had the experience of going for a workout when they're not in the mood and they just can't find the jam it's like not feeling it today so yeah. just ugh. so yeah super important 100 percent with you there I've, I've absolutely just tangented on this i do apologize so that's what, what is- we're here for right <laughs> Tangents and cir- circus tricks. That's what we. That's the name of this episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Whilst in your time of mentoring, teaching, 
educating, however you would describe it. Have there been All any hard good words? Have there been any hardships? Have you faced any um, like hurdles along the way? Yeah, I mean, working in primary prevention is emotionally challenging and exhausting. Like I said, I only do two weeks because I I get disclosures from kids, and that's rough. That's really rough. So I'm essentially going into schools and talking to kids about what happy, healthy, positive relationships should look, feel and sound like. And when you start doing that, there are kids that realise they've experienced the opposite and what's happened or happening is not okay. So they'll tell me about it. And that is a very positive thing because it means that they're empowering themselves it means that they're going to get help and support and I can facilitate that for them and it means that the abuse will stop but it's hard to hear it's really hard it's hard to look into the eyes of a 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 year old and hear them say that they've been abused or that something has happened that's harmful to them but yeah it is it's ultimately a positive thing and that's and that's why I do it. Um, and definitely, like, it's more rewarding than it is challenging. But that's that's the hardest thing for yeah. sure. Sorry if the, you can hear that car revving in the background. This is one of the more examples to why curry curry is a shithole. You've got, <laughs> you've got mullets everywhere. Curry curry. Place so <laughs> shit they named it twice. I mean, this is home, <laughs> this is home and mullet fest. I mean, if there was already... If the place wasn't so Mullets are back. Mullets yeah. are back. I and don't I know if you got the memo. Can't, I can't grow one, so it's BS. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll wait. My neighbour the- actually recently acquired a hat that he refers to as the double mullet, but it's actually a cap with a plastic trout through it. So there's like a trout head coming off the front and the tail off the back and a fin across the top. So it's like a, a fish mullet it's a, it's hat. A, it's pretty a, awesome. Well, that's it's a literal mullet, not like this. Yeah, an actual mullet mullet. Not like this hacked hair, sort of sacked your barber. Oh, wow. Crap. I now just realised that's why he calls it the double mullet. Cool. I caught See, up. We uh, <laughs> here at Life's a Mitch podcast, we uh, we debunk all the life's mysteries. What, is, what does old mate's hat mean? What's the meaning of life? And what did Mitch have for lunch? <laughs> have for lunch we haven't gone there yet i had a it's, i had a cheesy scroll for breakfast for brunch sweet and i'm gonna rip into some leftover chicken wings i had <laughs> yes Oof, and i am going from zero to fat bastard in no time <laughs> next up my thighs boop, boop. that's the thing with chicken wings they're a minute on the lips and a lifetime on the hips that's a scrubs joke <laughs> worth it though so yeah i am currently re-binging scrubs so hey it's you're, you're amongst good people then. You are good people. It was interesting. I I, I messaged you on that matchmaker.fm and you're like, I literally just heard you on the fake doctor's real friend. So I've added I Jack. joined that day because I heard you on that podcast and then you messaged that day. It was trippy. And we just found out before that we know someone um, that I'd traveled with yep. for two weeks uh, back in 2016 across Europe. Uh, no, it was the UK. Sorry, it was a UK trip. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's a small world. So shout outs to you, Tegan. I hope you're well. Um, <laughs> it was interesting. I just remember beers in Dublin and oh, my goodness. That was a good trip. A good group of people. <laughs> um, anyways, I digress. So, you know, every episode there is one consistent thing. The big, oh, two consistent things. Good storytelling. And uh, this next section, I think you know what it is. Addie, would you like to join me for a good old bitchy with Mitchy? Bitchy with Mitchy. I would, yes. So I had to prepare myself because I'm a very positive person and I don't like to let things rile me up. But I have two things that drive me up the wall and they are from the same genre. They're both grammatical issues. <laughs> okay. So I really, really can't stand it when people say and even more so write should of So public service announcement, everybody out there, it's should have. And when it's shortened, the apostrophe is before V-E. So it's should have or would have or could have, would have, should have, could have. It's not of. Please don't say it. Please don't write it. So That's my number one. (laughs) 
Okay, so okay, I, I need to interject there. We're in Australia. <laughs> We're in Australia. Aaron I Pye. know it happens so much. It's when Guardian Leviosa, not Leviosa. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yes. in terms of like um, pronunciation, Pete, my name pronunciation. is pronunciation. <laughs> Repeat after me. I, I, you know, my name is Mitch, but people regularly pronounce my name as Dickhead. <laughs> I can't win. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. We talk, we talk about the dickheadity being strong in our house when we have days of dickheadity, as we say. Um, yes, I, you know. It's the behaviour, not the person, let's say. <laughs> I, um, so the dickheadity force is strong with you, let's say. Well, my head's big enough, so I won't argue with that fact. Um, but, like, there's a term used for someone who gets upset by poor grammar or oh, poor pronunciation. I don't know what it is. I'm but... that person. Yeah. And I also kind of hate those people. So here we are. I'm in a catch 22. Do you want to know my other one? Yeah, my other it. one. And this one, I'm guilty. I reckon I'm guilty of doing it, but I don't know until someone tells me, but I don't like people using metaphors they don't understand or that they don't know anything about. And I'll give you an example. I discovered that I didn't like this because I was reading The Barefoot Investor, and I'm sorry to call you out here, but Barefoot Investor, you can't use a flying trapeze metaphor because you don't know what you're talking about. What's the, he what's, says what's that, the specific metaphor he's using? Okay, so he's talking using. about taking risks, and he says it's like a trapeze where you have to let go of one bar to grab the catcher and that's not how it works the first trick that anyone learns on trapeze you are literally holding on to both at the same time because it's the safest one so doesn't work metaphor doesn't work okay i'm just gonna take a big deep breath and it's time for you to take a trapeze right now and just relax (laughs) (laughs) well done yeah (laughs) just like a trapeze i'm soaring through the sky (laughs) Oh, <laughs> so you see, you see, I also but have this that. Is just, the bitchy with Mitchy is just fodder for you to wind up your guests, isn't it? I never wind I've them discovered. up. Like, I don't wind them up just like, you know, I'll wind up a, a cannon and shoot myself onto a trapeze like that. I thank you. <sighs> oh, I'm in the zone today. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not here to uh, exploit one of your frustrations because, you know, so one, one metaphor that I use sometimes is don't be there or be square. And the reason is, is that because you're not around. That's the metaphor. And a lot of people don't know that. Oh, so, yeah, like, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, and my my body shape is circumference, like a circumference, like a circle. So I, I'm literally always around. But I love it. Hey. I, don't, I don't have body issues. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to be funny. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a champion. Anyways, but like. You're nailing it. Oof, that's what she said. No. <laughs> oh, God. No, I can't do that. Nope. 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 Mm-mm. Oh, dear. <laughs> I pass on the she said and your mum jokes. I pass on all of those. My oh. sister makes your mum jokes all the time. And I'm like, it does not work. She's your mum too. <laughs> I don't make your Anyway, what's jokes. what's your what's your bitchy today, Mitchie? People, people that get pissed off who uh, at other people who don't like metaphors being used incorrectly. <laughs> 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 that was a solid burn. Yeah, I apologize. You seem like the cheeky type, so I thought I'd, I'd throw a bit of. Bit of uh, one thing, one thing that upsets me. Okay, one thing that truly pisses me off is no matter the capacity, relationships, whether it's friendship, family, dating, people that are that one-sided when it comes to stuff, and who are selfish, selfish inwards thinkers. Okay, so I've had, I've spoken about it before. One of my, actually, two, uh, some of the girls that I've dated have always been a one-sided, like, in terms of effort, I'd always have to go there. They never come down. Like, it's just, I'll give you a thousand and one examples, but I'm not here to cast shade on failed relationships because what's the point? Moved on. I've ascended beyond that. So, but recently, a friend of mine who lives, uh, I'd probably say about 80 kilometers south of here, it's fine. We were due to catch up for lunch and meet halfway. Cool. Goes out and gets on the beers last night. Oh man, I'm too hungover. How about you come down and we'll get some takeout instead? I'm like, no, mate. You you knew we were hanging. You're 35 years old. I've got better better, choice. 
But better, like if you want to go out and get hammered, do it. Knowing that you're gonna to have to back up tomorrow, that's fine. I don't care what I'm state. Drive you're. at eighty kilometers one way to hang out with a hungover person. I'm not, I'm not driving 160 k's and three hours out of my time to deal with. You know, my time's precious. You know, like nope, that's a hard pass. Yeah, and I just that yeah, with you on that that stuff. Like if you make plans with someone, and you're not going due to the fact of your own stupidity. Like if you want to get pissed, go do it, but back up or don't get that hammered. It's simple. And the older yeah, that it, kind of sorry. kind of wraps around to what we were saying about like, um, yeah, like only having your own worldview and only being able to see things from your own perspective. And I think that's where like, yeah, it applies to all those big life issues as well. But yeah, it manifests in little things like that. So, yeah, one of the okay, so someone close in my life um, hangs on to a grudge more so than anyone I've ever met. It's it's criminal how long they can hang on to something anyway. So w- what pisses me off is that this person would go out of their way to shit talk other people in your life to justify their own misery, like their miserable existence. Uh, for example, so these are two friends, right? One friend from school, another friend that we met later on through a, a, a mutual friend. Anyway, so friend A, I'm not going to mention them because that's fine. I'm not here to cast shit. Anyway, so friend A is a miserable so-and-so and we all know that, but He's got a good heart, so whatever. Friend B is life of the party, extremely extroverted, a lot like myself. Him and I get along like a house on fire. And we know them through another girl we went to school with. These two are dating. Anyway, it doesn't make... Sorry, is this making sense? Yeah, I'm following so far. We'll call them... Bob is the miserable friend. Sam is the happy friend. And they... Sam dates Jerry. Anyways, so Bob is just telling me that Sam's a piece of shit and he's this and that and I shouldn't hang out with him and rah, rah. I was like, why? Like... I enjoy him. I don't, I'm not going to base my opinion solely on what you tell me. If I have fun with this guy and make good memories and get something out of the friendship, I'm going to keep doing it. And then he gets shitty with me because I'm not stooping down to his misery level. And I'm like, I'm not dealing with that shit. Like, and like he's, he hangs on to stuff that happened back at school. And I was like, mate, you, you're near 40. Like it's time to either let go or acknowledge it or the fact that you have an issue. But the issue is, is that everyone else is at fault and he's the victim. And that's what is the frustrating thing about it is that playing that victim mentality when it's black and white, that he's the issue, but he won't acknowledge it and you can't. Mm. And that inability to get through to him is just very frustrating at at best. I'll bet. It sounds like Bob has some issues and some processing to do. Yeah. And you can't, it's just like trying to teach calligraphy to fish. You just can't do it. (laughs) I mean, you probably could, good but meta- good metaphor. <laughs> that's a scrubs quote. It's not a metaphor I come up with. So. Hey, but I understand right. how it works. You know, a pencil and a fin. Yep. Hell yeah, we can do that. Yeah, incompatible. You see? Yeah, you see? that's the thing. And like, it's it's hard when you're <laughs> close to people. Like, if Bob is a friend, like you want to help them, but it's hard to get the perspective when they're upsetting you to be like, Hey, Bob's probably dealing with some stuff and he needs a different way to process it because clearly the way that he's dealing with it is not dealing with it or it's negatively affecting other people in his life, i.e. you. So yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Got to try and find some other avenues for Bob. (laughs) Well, Bob, if you listen to this champ and you know who you are, let's help out there. (laughs) Try something else. Mate, I'm coming to give you a hug in no time. No problem at all. Yeah. Love will fix everything. The love train. The love Love train. train. Scrubs, thank you. All aboard. (laughs) You're welcome. The love train. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Did Mm -hmm. I? Yeah. So humble brag. I met Turk and JD. What? I know. That's how I know of you because I was listening to that podcast. See that, listeners? I am famous. No, I'm not. Um, (laughs) Do you? Do you wish you were famous? Wish I was rich. That'd be great. That would make life a lot easier, huh? And then, do I wish I was famous? I can't. I don't know. I do like the attention. I must admit, I, I love, mm-hmm. I love being what people speak about. I love um, going. I listen to your show and I had a laugh. I love knowing that there's a small like bit of my efforts that are out there in the world circulating, getting around. You don't know and- how happy it makes me. It makes me feel to hear you say that like so many people don't own their successes and you were talking to someone else on this podcast about tall poppy syndrome which you hadn't heard before but it's a thing that australians do is like we 
We don't like show-offs and it's bull, if you don't mind me not right. swearing on your podcast. I've said, I I've hate sure it. I've dropped an F-bomb, I think, but. Okay, fine. It's bullshit. Stop doing it. Like, yeah, it's okay to like the attention. I love attention. I'm scared of the internet, but I love attention. It's why I'm a performer. Like, put me on stage. I love to feel validated by an audience clapping and standing for me and telling me what a great job I did. It feels good and it's okay for that to feel good. And, yeah, it's great that you know that about yourself and that you acknowledge that because that's humility as well it's like yeah yeah i know i know that about myself and that's why i'm doing this i i recently had a interview on active fm they're a south african radio station and a guy by the name of nash interviewed me and he was a champion anyway so that's on my socials if you just want to check it out anyways he asked me he's like who is your inspiration and podcasting guru movie director kevin smith and he says that the person who likes the sound of his voice the most is Kevin Smith. And I'm the same. The person who loves the sound of Mitch's voice the most is Mitch. Because you've got to brand yourself. If you're gonna if you're gonna do this and have some sort of presence out there in the world, mm. then first you need to acknowledge who you are. You need to accept that. Accept that. Be passionate about what you're doing and back yourself, you know? Yes. I, um, and Preach. since I, since I've been doing this, I, I must admit, full full like revelation about things is that when i started this um it was about relationships and part of me was like do i want to put the call out there to maybe if anyone's listening in to want to talk in and see if they want to date me or whatever like maybe like with this new attention i could meet a nice girl and now that i'm actually talking to girls again with this newfound confidence the small things the small hoops i'd used to jump through going back to your circus metaphor but I'm just, the small hoops that i used to have to jump through <laughs> people do jump through your hoops this still works carry and, uh, on and um to go back through and be to go through that the insecurities and the, the inadequacies i'd have to go through back then i would jump at i would jump as high as i could to make sure that needs were met now well, I, I don't have time for that like if you don't meet my needs if you don't meet what i want what i need then i can't I, i'm not going to move forward with you i can't do it and that's, that's comes, awesome that's that comes back great to, advice right there yeah it's like if you're out there in a relationship in a one-sided friendship, in any capacity, professional, personal, whatever it might be, if you're not getting what you need out of the person, then it's time to look like deep down, write a pros and cons list and go, is this person worth my time? I know there are hardships like you're in a spousal relationship, if there's children involved, if there's a house Mm. or assets, I get that. But But if we can communicate honestly and openly with those people, that's what consenting is. Absolutely And it right. would make everybody's life easier if we could all just be honest with each other. And that's the other thing, like, especially about friendships, like making friends in your 30s is really hard. It is. It's really hard. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, let alone starting intimate relationships. Like I moved to the other side of the world when I was 30 with my partner and we found it really challenging to make friends when you're 30 because people tend to get into their cliques and some people have been friends since high school and that's it and to forge new friendships is really hard but it's also really hard to let go of people that you don't see eye to eye with and if I see a few people around me my age like mid-30s assessing their relationships like you're doing and going you know what this person takes more than they give to my life so I don't need to pursue that anymore this is right and I refer to those people as Human handbrakes or gravity. They either hold you yep. back or bring you down. I'm Mitch yep. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> My friends just made this great new T-shirt called Gravity Schmavity, but the Schmavity is upside down. So when you do a handstand, it says Schmavity. It's pretty great. Well, if I defied the laws of physics and got this absolute <laughs> apparatus upside down you for a handstand. I you mean, could do it. Can measure on the Richter scale, but my goodness, tides would be turning, Mitch's butt you cheeks would be churning, and my goodness, <laughs> handstand, I'd be learning. <laughs> most people can learn to handstand. I can teach most people. Start with a plank. Oh, I can plank. I am. Yeah, you're on I'm, the way. So I'm into. I can do one against the wall. I'm into powerlifting. So right. I'm quite strong, but... Um, oh, you can 100% do a handstand. Your issue is going to be shoulder flexibility. I tell you yeah, that now. I'm as flexible. Can you overhead press? Yeah, yeah, I can. I was about to bust out another metaphor there. I'm like, no, no, I, I, well, I'll sit on that. I'll think about this. And 
be uh, conscious. <laughs> was it an improvised one? <laughs> it was. I was, was going to say I'm about as flexible as an old rusty gate. <laughs> I mean, gate, rusty gates tend to break rather than bend, don't they? So yeah. I don't know. I've, I've, um, I've never. Come I don't know that much about gates, though. So maybe we're both doing the thing. <laughs> I don't know much about gates, but I'm certainly open to it. <laughs> <laughs> Case closed That's on it. that one. Mic drop. Podcast done. Oh, that's what episode thirty-five. Oh, that was wow. gold. Oh, oh, my goodness! I'm so sorry. Oh. Why? That was beautiful. Oh, that, that was, was a horrendous. Beautiful Don't apologize for that. <laughs> oh dear. Um, <laughs> my bitchy with Mitchy also is that my brain is. I'll say something, and then my like, I'm that quick-witted. My brain will catch up and just go. You didn't. <laughs> I have that. I have that for sure. Yeah. But like, sometimes it happens mid sentence for me. I'll be talking and then I'll be like, hang on a minute. I've got no idea where I'm going with this or this is a really bad idea and I should stop talking. It's never a bad idea to stop talking because it's fun to, you know, and, if you, <laughs> and you know, as you said, you enjoy the limelight. You're an entertainer like me. You know, you're a creative, you're an entertainer. Absolutely. So if, if people want to get involved in your, your in your stories, in your classes, in your circus work or whatever whatever capacity, how can people get in contact with you and what sort of services do you offer specifically in addition to what you've already told us? Okay. This is a difficult question for me to answer because I have many hats and I'm scared of the internet. So <laughs> if you want to follow my dog on Instagram, she's Life with Lilu. She's named after... Lilu Dallas Multipass in the Fifth Element. Great sci-fi reference. Wow. Thank you. Thanks very much. Um, so there's that. I am a speaker. I'm a TED speaker. So you can look up my TED Talk online. I'll, I'll, I'll get all a- the correct. Eddie Delaney TED Talk. I'll get all the correct yeah. spelling um, for the, underneath. Yep. If you would like to engage me as a speaker, you can find me through LinkedIn, all of my contact information is there but I don't do any personal social media because as I said I'm scared of the internet so I prefer long-form communication I prefer working with people face to face um, which is why I like working with classrooms and with school communities and with people that come to my classes if you're in Tasmania you can look up the circus studio and come and do classes with us there and that's about it. I'm open to everything. I'm a multi-potentialite, so you never know. You never know. So what's the next challenge for Addy? I've got two books I'm trying to write. <laughs> so I time? hope to add author to that list. Yeah, I've been bouncing back and forth between the two. So I'm writing a book on consent. Okay. And the redefinition of consent and how we can do that by just the way we talk to people and particularly young people. And I'm also trying to write a memoir. So I'm trying to write about my time on the circus. You got a title for the memoir? It's got a working title. It's almost good. The title or the title title or the book? (laughs) No, the, the, yes, the title. Well, maybe it's almost good, but yes, the working title is, Almost good. And that is because my friend. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your life come... work. <laughs> <laughs> what it's there for. My this friend used to stand at the, <laughs> at the end of the flying trapeze rig at every single show. So we would do six shows a week and I would do my double somersault dismount off the flying trapeze, which is a pretty badass trick. Um, and he knew that I had trained really, really hard to get this trick. So he would tease me by standing at the end of the platform, at the end of the flying trapeze every show. And every time I landed my double somersault, he would look at me and sort of, there was loud music and stuff. So he would sort of like do this hand wobble, like, ooh, sort of like, yeah, okay. And then he would say to me, yeah, it was almost good. So I think that was his way of like pushing me to be better. But it was- I'd be like, bro, I made that look trapeze but on tish. I should use that way more often as someone with the authority to use trapeze legitimately. It's I should not a, do that. The name working title of your autobiography. It ain't easy to be trapeze. <laughs> I might take it as a, as a byline 
that's okay chapter one (laughs) but yeah i think almost good sort of summarizes uh you know how i was always trying to push myself and always trying to meet the next challenge and yeah striving after things and not necessarily realizing when i achieved the things i want to achieve and yeah, it's, uh, it's still semi-formed, so I don't – but keep an eye out and one day there will be a book. Watch this space. But no, I, what I'll do is I'll absolutely, I'll absolutely put all of Addie's correct spelling contact details in the episode by on me because <laughs> I want to make sure that I don't, I don't bugger it up. But no, this has been an awesome chat. I'm really enjoying it. Um, we've, we've, we've spoken a bit about like specific content and then we've tangented it's good banter here. I enjoy this. Um, and also, um, one thing I would like to sort of start to close out on is that the thing about consent in its many ways, shape, whether it be sexual, whether it be consent for the body, whether it be consent to get someone else to help you, whatever it might be, is that inside it'll teach us to be more confident in ourselves. And, you know, no one, you know, there's, there's a domestic DV relationships out there, domestic violence relationships out there that, you know, are toxic and if you're a victim of this and being made to do things that you don't want to do whether it be physically emotionally mentally or you know if there are people out there going experiencing other traumatic things that you'll have to do things that you don't consent to whether it's in the workplace whether it's elsewhere um please just stop take a big deep breath and remind yourself it's okay to ask for help because you never, ever truly legally have to do anything you don't want to do. Yep, I'm nodding emphatically again. It's okay to not be okay. And I'll also add to that that if you are not sure if you're causing harm to someone else, it's okay to ask. It's okay to seek help and support. It's all right to check in with someone if you're not sure if they're comfortable or happy with things. And it's okay to access professional help and support if you feel like your behaviors are having a negative effect on someone else because yeah, we can feel trapped in that way sometimes. This is and true. It's, it's okay to not be okay. This is true. And um, one last thing as well is that if someone's upsetting you in any capacity, they, you know, I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt. They truly might not, they might have a bad trait and they truly might not be aware that they're upsetting you. So I know it's hard. I know the easy thing to do is, Say if it's at the workplace and someone's bullying you, comments that they think you can handle. Like earlier when I was being cheeky to Addy, the last thing I wanted to do was go over the top. And that's where a lot of issues stem from. It's like in the workplace uh, recently, a guy called me a name at work. I don't mind because I'm a joker. It's fine. Okay. So in front of other people, they laughed. We went on with their with, with our shift. A few nights later, we're at a like a farewell event for a colleague. She was leaving to go to a new workplace. And I'm sitting next to this guy and just one-on-one, I called him a showbag because the other night he was making fun of me and I said he's full of garbage. I didn't pick my moment and he absolutely tore ribbons off me. You're this, you're that, how dare you? And I thought like in the grand scheme of things, I'm like, well, you called me worse, champ. You called me a C. And like, I'll call you nothing like but a showbag. What I thought was innocent turned out to be having my, he threatened to punch my head in. This guy who, I don't know if he's going through a mental illness, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But the fact that I upset him, it made me feel bad because I thought he was a cheeky bugger and could handle it. So some people can give, cannot take. Anyways, I digress. The issue is, is that if you feel someone's upsetting you, always give them the benefit of the doubt, pull them aside and go, hey, the other day when you called me this, it made me feel like garbage. Oh man, I'm so sorry. He's probably the most consistent response you'll get. And if they keep going with it, then you've got grants to take it higher to HR management or whoever. But if you just pull that person aside, say if they're calling you a nickname, like for me, I'm bored. I get called the human table at work. I don't mind a joke, but for when it's every shift for a fucking year, that was that thousand first time snap. Hey, table. Mm. Boom. Oi, you and I talk now. I've had a gut full of shit. Oh no, I thought, no, you thought wrong. Enough is enough. And that was the end of it. Time and a place. Yeah. Important to say if you're safe and comfortable to do that Yeah. as well. Like it can be really scary to say to someone that what they're saying to you makes them feel uncomfortable, especially if it's like a routine thing and they do it every day. That conversation can be really hard to start. 
but absolutely if you feel safe and comfortable to address that person that is a really excellent way forward and that's what I tell kids in schools all the time because I get a lot of questions about bullies especially in primary school and I'm like yeah first port of call if you feel safe and comfortable to let that bully know that what they're doing is making you feel upset that's a perfect place to start but if you don't feel safe to do that, you also are under no obligation to do that. Yeah. Their behaviour is their choice and you have a right to feel safe. So find someone that you do feel comfortable talking to about that. Yeah. And so I think that applies for adults as well. Definitely. So especially where I work, one example is uh, the website of this particular place I work has an anonymous f- feedback icon you can click and you can awesome. report it. Or you've got your on-site safety reps. You've got your... Um, EEO people that represent you too, or if you're a part of the union or whatever, mm. there are always people in just about every workplace that can go to bat for you if you feel comfortable. So yep. there legally is. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So I'm not as obviously as educated as what Addy is, but I know that just as a, I'm just a regular old coal miner who is lucky to have resources around him, but, and a lot of workplaces have EAPs as well for access to counselors and whatever yep. as well. So you probably, have more resources around you than you might have noticed before. So, you know, well, many avenues there. Anyways, I digress again. Addie, is there anything that you'd like to close out on or any last words or? Oof. We're okay. I think we covered a lot. It was a different sort of episode, wasn't it? But uh, we got there in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good. I think we had a nice healthy balance of like the important heavy stuff and some also equally important lighthearted. It was, stuff. it was all trapeze. It was all consent. And right now I'm just about to close the game on this episode. <laughs> yes. <mate. laughs> so nice. Thanks, thanks for listening guys. That was episode 35 as always. Um, check out the content that's posted in the bio and Check out um, if you want to give me a rating or a, a review on Apple Apple Spot, Apple Playlist, or you know leave a review. That'd be fantastic. Um, there's always a multitude of ways to get in contact with the show. Lifesmitchpodcast.com, lifesmitchpodcast at gmail.com, lifesmitchpodcast on Facebook and Instagram. Message me if you want to share your story or if you just want to say hey. Feel free to contact in. Anyways, episode 35, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye for now.